Namaste and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, the host of the Modern Mystic Podcast, and today I am thrilled to be having back Michael McQueen, who is an expert intuitive tarot reader and psychic advisor. At the age of 12, he developed a very special relationship with the saints and angels, and that led him to graduate from St. John's University in Queens, New York with a degree in theology. He is truly a master tarot card reader, and I am thrilled to welcome you back, Michael, to the podcast. And I'm thrilled to be back on the podcast, and I'm very excited for our discussion tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, as I mentioned, you're back time number two, and you're one of the only guests I've invited back thus far, because your first episode, which was episode number 13, The powerful life tool of tarot cards literally blew up and folks just love that episode so much. Even like a waiter down the street was talking to me. It inspired him to get his tarot cards and I didn't even know he listened to the podcast. It was this whole thing because of that episode. And I know in the past episode, we spoke about the history of tarot a bit. And some other things maybe we can briefly recap for those who haven't heard that episode. But if you haven't heard it, definitely check out number 13. It's brilliant. But I can't wait to hear your answer to the question I ask all my guests yet anew, which is what does it mean to you to be a modern mystic? Because as mystics, we are constantly developing ourselves and evolving, hopefully, And one of the things I love so much about you is your passion, your fervor, and knowing you personally, how you have such a fierce commitment to your practices, to continually developing yourself, your skills, and your inner journey and connection with the divine and all things that lead one to that. And so I look forward now to hearing what's your take two answer almost two years later (laughs) to that question. It's funny because, again, like it just doesn't feel like it's been two years. Like time goes so fast. But just where I am in my current walk, in my current practice of my spirituality, I'm seeing my spirituality and refocusing my spirituality, um, especially through the Hindu term of bhakti, of loving devotion, and what it means to be in loving devotion and in service to others. And I think so much of being a modern mystic has to come back to that idea of devotion. You know, that idea of devotion and service to others, of finding love and devotion to the universe, to the divine, finding that within ourselves, but also finding it in others, being able to serve others in that devotion, in that practice, and also bringing out that divine element in others through our devotion and our service to them. So poignant. I love that answer so much. I am a bhakti yogi at heart for sure. And I really feel that mysticism and spirituality and the whole point of all of it is to help other people and to really collectively 
push consciousness forward, up-leveled humanity, all the things. And so I think often spirituality can be viewed at times as a selfish thing, like to go off, to meditate, to pray, to do the things, because often those things can be, not always, in solitude. But it's that practice of going so deeply in so that then we can serve even that much more fully out to the depths where we went in. And that's so beautiful that you're you're focusing on that lately. And you are just such a servant. I mean, I've always felt that about you in the way of your real, real devotion to others with, with the things that you offer. So, so great. So great. And I think we can ask ourselves, it's a powerful teaching, you know, like when we're doing practices, it can be a good litmus test. Are we in touch with serving others? You know, when the ego, because I think that can so happen. And it's something that I'll think about from time to time, just the idea of, okay, who am I serving? You know, what am I doing to serve and keep using that as a touchstone can really be, again, this litmus test to make sure we're on track and our egos that are healthy and developed aren't out of control, too. So I think that's a really good point about that touchstone. Exactly. And I think it's important to remember, especially kind of in the early stages of spirituality, I always go back to the desert mothers and fathers, you know, those those kind of ancient mystics who they went out to the desert, you know, to fast and to pray and to be in touch with the divine and to find that inner kingdom of the divine inside themselves. It wasn't for them to go stay out in the desert. Like, you know, they had to come back and return to the community to kind of give what it is that they gained from this time so that the community would be enriched um, from this connection to the divine that they had found and that they could find it for themselves. Exactly. And, and I think about that with this podcast, right? You, people can listen to this. And in, in order to listen to a podcast, you have to kind of tune out life and, you know, focus on this. But I know when I'm uplifted by word medicine, then I come back after hearing word medicine and I have so much more to offer my people. So such a great, great point. Yeah, I love that. So tarot, I thought we could start because I feel like you are particularly dexterous with sharing how tarot is practical and perhaps for people listening who are tarot curious, but perhaps a little skeptical too, there's nothing wrong with a little healthy skepticism, I feel like. I feel like that's actually a really great tool of discernment. In yoga, they call that viveka. Anytime you go towards a practice or a teacher, have some kind of perhaps skepticism because then that's, you know, helps you see if it's efficacious and, and grounded. So talk to us about tarot, please, and how it works and, you know, maybe perhaps thinking about some people who might be skeptical speaking to them. So how I like to present tarot to those who may be new to tarot or maybe skeptical of tarot or maybe just curious and maybe coming to me for a reading for the first time, I, I like to say that tarot is a discernment tool, first and foremost, that tarot is a snapshot of the energy of our lives at that present moment. It's not about so much the past. It's not so much about this future. It's all more about where we are in this present moment and how the energy is flowing. And so with that, tarot becomes this great discernment about kind of where's the energy stuck in our lives? Where's the energy flowing? Where's 
things really moving for me. Where are the people or the situations or the different circumstances in our lives that we may need to engage with more fully? Or where do we need to take a step back? Again, coming back to that desert imagery, you know, when do we need to go back into the desert to recharge our batteries? And I think the tarot is a great tool for that snapshot of the energy of where our lives are in the present moment, how we can progress our lives forward. I always like to say people come to me as a tarot reader and they want me sometimes to tell them, you know, well, this is what should be done. This is what should be done. But more likely tarot is more of a tool to empower the person coming for the reading to take really full charge of their lives and returning that power and empowering that person to make better decisions going forward from that reading and really empowering them to live their best life possible. Such an elucidating answer. And yeah, it's a, it's a tool, not a crutch. And I love how you spoke about that word empowerment because I'm sure people come to you and, and I think often, you know, to healers and to people with wisdom such as yourself and using these different kind of quote unquote mystical, spiritual, new age tools and you know, are looking for someone at times to really tell them what to do. I mean, that happens. It happens to me, you know, when I work with people, clients and readings and such. And so, yes, the fact that they're this incredible empowerment tool that really, in my mind, act like a mirror that reflect back to us the answers that we know inside, but that are precluded or that we're confused about. But there's, you know, the deep wisdom that so many traditions collectively hold lives within. And to me, the tarot are like this mirror reflecting that wisdom back so we can have those aha moments and, and connect the dots. Right. So I, I love how you said that. Yes. And I love that idea of kind of the mirror. Like, you know, I love that idea of that the tarot is a reflection. I, I usually like to use that it's a snapshot. Like, you know, it's a photo of where we are now. But I think a mirror is so much more poignant because even so many of times people come to me and they're like, oh, this really confirmed what I was thinking or this really confirmed what was really going on deep inside of me and what I felt was moving inside of me in this moment. And, you know, just like a mirror can sometimes we can see where the little piece of hair is out of place, you know, um, tarot can be that for so many of the different circumstances in our lives. Mm, I love that. And it's funny because when you said snapshot of energy, like it's a snapshot of energy and time, I was like, oh, that's so brilliant because I hadn't thought of that, <laughs> that idea that it's not stagnant, of course. That's what I love about that metaphor. It's it's that, oh, this is, you know, when we know when we take a picture that is real, but that's an ephemeral moment too. And in right. that ephemeral moment, you know, it's not stuck, it's going to be changed, etc. But then we can see that snapshot and see the situation or whatever picture we've taken in a way that we can't when we're taking the picture. Like if we're the one taking the picture, we can't see it in the way that when we actually view the picture. So we loved each other's metaphors. Yay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been around tarot cards and oracle cards pretty much my whole life. And one of the things that struck me when you read for me the first time and I was like, oh, this guy, I loved your wisdom and perspective because you are so affirming. Speaking of affirming, right? The cards are so affirming and they can be. And 
I feel like up until that point, so many times I would have a reading or like my friends had cards and we were doing cards or whatever. And, and even when I was a teenager seeing cards, people would like freak out when a certain card appeared, you know, so like when the devil card appears or when the hangman card. And one of the things I love about the wisdom that you impart is that there are really no bad cards, right? right. So could you speak to that? Because I feel like when I do readings for people, even people are like, oh, I'm afraid I don't want to get a bad card. Like that comes up a lot. So right. how would you speak to that, please? And I think a lot of that is Hollywood's perspective on tarot and divination and psychic work. You know, we have this kind of very doom and gloom understanding of of the practice. And I always come from that place that there is no p- bad card because this is information that you need for your life. And I think one of the things is that life is scary enough. And when we come to tarot, those difficult situations or those scary situations that we find in life, when they show up in the cards, you know, this is just a way for us to dissect how to navigate them. You know, this is our way of being able to clearly see them for what they are and then be able to say, well, here's a way that we can remedy this or this is a way that we can work with that energy. Because even difficult energy in our lives and even scary energy in our lives are energy that we can work and transmute to make a more favorable outcome in the future as we move forward. Love that. Love those verbs too about transmuting that sense that we can alchemize but if we're not like two things if we bypass and ignore the devil and the shadowy you know type hanged person card you know then we're not fully embodying life and or our mysticism and or the point right then we're bypassing which happens all the time in spiritual communities that the other thing that i think is very human and happens is the opposite which is you know completely running away and being scared so it's like okay how do we like you're saying work with these energies and identify these energies and say okay because who doesn't live with shadow who doesn't live with fear who do you speak to that when you speak to them and have a real in-depth conversation is not going through something or someone they know is not going through something and they've been impacted right no one right and so it's so beautiful how you spoke of that realness because the, those cards are the realness, I feel like, and the grit and the grist for the mill that, as you uh, cited, that help us then navigate it more skillfully. So exactly. Good. And I think it is, it's like, you know, because so many times I think in our spiritual practice, we've been so affected by the love and the light. And it's just like it's in the shadow, it's in our difficulty, how do I want to say it? It's like it compacts us. You know, it, it makes us kind of better. It makes us stronger to be able to attack whatever's coming down the road even later. You know, so it's all about how we work with that energy in the present that makes a better outcome for us in the future. Right. And if we don't name that energy and get clear about that, then we can't navigate it. So we can't steer through it because we're not even recognizing it and calling it out. So you can't go through something unless you're actually looking at it in the face and then calling it and labeling it for what it is. So, so good. So good. Okay. So let's talk about the OG deck, the, the Rider Waite deck, which 
you went through last time a bit, but maybe you could please, for those who haven't heard that episode, just talk about that deck in the way of, you know, how many cards, how it's divided up in different sections. And then we can even get into the minor arcana, which we didn't speak of last time. But let me have you please speak about this sort of traditional deck and maybe a little bit about its origins in in Italy and such. Right. So a very brief kind of overview of the history of tarot is that we know that playing cards started in China and then eventually ended up in Egypt and then kind of worked their way into southern Italy, where we see the first kind of divinatory use of cards in kind of the southern Italian magical practice. So we see this done with um, the Tarachi cards, which is a card game. And we see it also in different types of um, decks like the Scopa deck and other general playing card decks. As um, the cards made their way up into Europe, we start to kind of see the suits divided in the way that we're more familiar with them as that we have like the magician and we have the major arcana and the fool and then we have the minor arcana which would have been our normal suits of as we know in the american playing card is like the hearts and the clubs and the spades and things like that start to become evolve in upper europe so we know of the writer wade smith deck because we can't forget pamela coleman smith who was the creator and the illustrator of the wider Rider Waite deck. Rider and Waite were a part of kind of the European mysticism movement and a part of groups like the Golden Dawn and these different higher magical sects. Actually, Waite was a, a mystical Catholic, a lot of people, because the Rider Waite has a very Christian presence to it. So there's a lot of different mysticism that we see in the Rider Waite deck, usually taking from the Kabbalah, taking from Christian mysticism and other different esoteric groups. And so what we have here through the Rider Waite Coleman Smith deck is our first kind of understanding of the modern tarot, going through the fool's journey. And then we have the four suits of the cups, the coins, the batons or the rods, and then the swords as being kind of our main suits of the playing cards, which are the 78 different cards. Fabulous. So just to recap that great elucidation, you know, there's 78 cards. We've got the major arcana cards, which are, you know, the way I like to think of it and tell me if this feels true to you. They're very much archetypical cards. You know, they're these like big archetypes that live within each one of us, whether they're within ourselves or big aspects of life, but they're kind of big picture energy, so to speak. There are 22 of those. So when we see like the high priestess and the fool and like you said, the magician, and I feel like they're the ones often in the movies and the Netflix series, you know? Yes. And and I feel like when I read cards, tell me if this feels true for you, that when I read someone, usually like often, if I've never read for them before, that one of those cards come up and it's usually them. Like it's usually like a quintessential energy of that person who is new to me. Is that your experience? So that definitely is my experience with the major arcana. Like, you know, like when I see the major arcana show up, like, you know, that this is very much an aspect of this person, or it's an aspect of where this person is in life in the present moment. You know, it's very much, again, that kind of that snapshot of 
where that person is or who that person is or who that person is becoming, you know, depending on the reading and the different circumstances in that reading. So it's definitely my experience with that also. Yeah. And it's funny because often I'll have people who I read often, not always, but often they have had readings or flirted with it or gotten a deck or something. And they'll say, oh, yeah, that card's come up for me before, which is like another sign. Like I had someone, you know, recently with a magician. He was like, oh, yeah, that came up. That's weird. When, you know, my first reading years ago in California. And I was like, yeah, because that's you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that's your you know, kind of quintessential energy and, you know, theme and I think a main life lesson. So love that. And then the so those are 22. And then the other 56 are called the minor arcana, as you spoke of. And they're the cards attributed, as you said, to what we know as playing cards. And there are four different suits of those, so to speak. And they literally correlate to our playing cards. And those are the pentacles, the cups, the wands. And you, you gave, you know, there, there's some synonyms for those and the sword. So we'll, we'll keep flowing with the synonyms. Yeah, could you talk to us about the minor arcana? Because in the episode 13, if you're interested, Michael gave the most truly profound, in-depth, really brilliant depiction of each one of the cards and what they represent thematically and emotionally and psychologically of those cards. And so, yeah, so talk to us today about the minor arcana cards. You know, I, I always get with the minor arcana, I always think, you know, people think of minor and they think of lesser, you know, that these are kind of the lesser and arcana meaning mystery. So we have the kind of the lesser mysteries. And to be completely honest, the minor arcana are my favorite part of tarot. Are they? They're, they're I didn't my, know that. They are. <laughs> yeah, they're actually my favorite cards because these are the energies that we work with on a day to day basis. You know, these are our day-to-day living lives where the major arcana are kind of like these big kind of cinematic moments in our lives or they're big parts of our personality. But when we look in reality of kind of our day-to-day living and what it is that we're doing or what it is we're trying to manifest or what it is that we're trying to work on in ourselves and the communities around us, the minor arcana really are the nitty-gritty of that. Like, you know, they're like the meat. You have the major arcana, which are are important, like, you know, and there's these big things like this is the grit, like this is the gristle of your life. Like this is like when it gets down and dirty is like within the minor arcana. And so with that, I think that the minor arcana is really more of the great mystery because this is what the energies that we're dealing with from day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And as we know, the real magic i it, mean it's the, part of my my podcast description the magic is in the mundane right the mysteries in the present right. moment so i love how you spoke of that because i think about that with the, and i and i never made that correlation with the minor arcana in that like you said so much of the day-to-day moment-to-moment uh, life and yeah to me it's so much about the details and how the how-to like when you see them in the right. reading it's like yeah you get the big kind of mythopoetic energies and we can get swept away like you know and it's kind of like they're a little hollywood or something but it's the minor arcana that are like the the how-to instructions to actually like learn the stuff and do the things and 
make the growth happen. So, so good. So where do you want to begin in the way of the foray into the minor arcana, the cups, the swords, the pentacles, the wands? Where do you want to go? So I want to start with the cups just because the cups are my favorite suit in the tarot because I am a double water sign. Um, my rising is in Cancer and my sun is in Scorpio. So I'm a big water guy. So I, I love the suit of cups. It's, it's my absolute favorite suit. So at that being said, the cups in tarot represent the element of water. And so water connects to, in tarot, first and foremost, our emotional state. But it also connects to our spiritual development. It also connects to poetic expression. It connects to where we connect to the divine and where we connect with others. So water is very much that conduit for that connection in tarot. And so we have that connection to our dream state, our emotional state, our creative state in water. And so that's an absolute favorite place to start. <laughs> I love water too. I'm a Pisces rising with Jupiter right there on my my rising. So I, I that now I know for sure how we where we met and where we like to commingle right there in the water. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the water, the, the cups, and and you know I know you know this, but the cups are so associated with those signs in astrology, Western astrology, and I know. In the playing cards, right, that would be associated with the hearts, the, the hearts that we play, because my kids get excited about the, the cards. And when I talk about tarot, they think it's so cool. They're connected to the playing cards, right? And yes. in many traditions, I know in particularly the Indian tradition and the yogic tradition, it's often associated with the, the season of summer and, yeah, just emotions and fulfillment and all those things, abundance. I just want to say real quick that you clarified something for me because that we were going to talk about later because I do give the card seasons and summer has always been my association for the cups and I never knew that. I never knew that in the yogic tradition. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, summer, right? Abundance and Lakshmi and just full on expression and the, the ripening of the fruit that is now ready to just fall off the tree and all those wonderful wonderful associations. Now, how would you talk about it, you know, in the way of talking people through the cards, like with getting an ace of cups versus getting a five of cups and that kind of maturation, because the cards, you know, start from the, the beginning, and then work their way up through the numbers. And then eventually, you know, the page and the knight and the queen and the king because every suit has four of those as well so yeah can you talk us through that please right so let's start with the numbered cards first because i think it's easier to talk through kind of the numbered cards and then we'll talk about the court cards later because they're they're their own special thing. okay <laughs> what i like to talk about kind of the maturation of the cards is that when we start with the cards each of the suits starts from an ace to ten if you're working with a more traditionally oriented deck. So the ace of in any of the given suits is like the seed. I always say that the ace is like the seed. So that's the pure energy of whatever the suit is dealing with. So we're talking about cups. So cups is the ace of cups is about that pure 
emotional seed, that start of emotion and love and spirituality. It is the pure essence of that energy. And as we progress through the cards, that energy expands. You know, the energy either expands to its fruition or to its detriment, depending on which suit that we're we're talking about. Because with the, the the cups, it becomes a little bit more positive as it goes through, rather than when we're talking about the swords, which get heavier and heavier as, totally. as that energy progresses. <laughs> and so basically, the journey of the minor arcana in the numbered cards is to the energy, to its expansion, to the highest degree. And so when we start at the ace, it's again, it's that beginning, it's that first fruits of that energy. And by the time that we get to the 10, it's that energy, if it's completely expanded in, in our lives and in whatever it is that we're going through. So good. Love that. Let's talk about the coins because the coins are my second favorite in the deck also. So the coins are represent the element of the earth. So coins represent being grounded, being in the earthly kind of realm. So it represents also our day-to-day workings. It represents our jobs. It represents our careers. It represents money and commerce. It represents our households. You know, even our day-to-day task of doing the dishes and vacuuming the floor, the, the coins really exemplify kind of that earthy part of life, those things that we deal with, those things that get our hands dirty. What I love about the energy of the coins, especially from the ace, is that the ace is the card of blessing in the coins. You know, it's all about the gift. It's all about the abundance. You, it's, so it's all about kind of the blessings that we receive in our lives. And as the coins expand, you know, the, what I love about the suit of coins is that the coin expands to how we navigate that abundance that began in that blessing. And how we distribute it to others. You know, it's that abundance that goes into the future. So the the coins really kind of solidify ourselves into the earth. It solidifies us into our day-to-day lives and our day-to-day dealings in all these different aspects. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And being associated with Earth from the Western astrological standpoint, that would be Taurus, Capricorn, and Virgo for people interested in that energy. And... Yeah, I feel like the coins, like you said, so practical, you know, that earth energy and about obviously our stability and also our self-worth, you know, comes up. Right. Right. With the pentacles. What did you say? Yes. And I think that especially because how I like to my flavor of tarot reading, especially when the earth cards commingle with the water cards, you know, it's that balancing between kind of of kind of the material and the spiritual that bring us together to that self-worth. And I love that kind of that commingling and that interaction that they have in each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because in a lot of different traditions and, you know, I don't want to speak to acupuncture and, and Chinese tradition too much because I'm, I'm not, you know, an expert in that realm, but I have heard and, definitely in the yogic tradition and definitely in the esoteric astrology tradition, both of those, I am more seasoned that that earth watering matching goes really well. Like there's a real co-mingling. And, and if you think about it, you know, yes, it can create mud, 
but mud can build homes. You know, what do we used to build homes with? Mud. And there's such great power to, to that kind of structure. And so I love that you mentioned that, that earth, water, commingling and, and energy together. And yeah, like the, the cups are so much about, I feel like, you know, the emotional body and the psyche even, you know, not really yes. the, like the mental body, but where the, it's, you know, the air is when we'll get there is more mental. I feel like it's the, the emotional feeling aspect of our psyche and psychology and the abundance of that. And then, like you said, the earth is that the pentacles or that practicality and all the things that go with that. Right. It's that psyche in motion. Like, you know, yeah. it's that psyche in, um, in just kind of the work that we do. Cause again, like I, I love that, that commingling again with the water and the earth. Cause it's like, you know, if we don't have one or the other, it becomes very unbalanced. And what yes. I, I find with people who come up in readings where there's a lot of points, um, it's, they're very dry. Like, you know, it's, and it's, it's a very kind of dry understanding of life. And it's like, you know, we have to be always so practical and it's like, you know, and it's like, we need that water to like break that up a little bit, you know, to have some levity in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That Now, what would you say like of the cards, you know, which earth cards, pentacles, you know, we should call uh, as they are colloquial named the pentacles, which ones do you think are more challenging or speak to the arduousness of pentacles? So with the pentacles, the one that comes to mind personally, because it's sitting in front of me right now is the five of pentacles. The five of pentacles is about kind of being casted out. Um, in traditional tarot, the image is of the poor and they're outside the church you know, and they're kind of begging for alms in the snow. And I think that the challenging part of pentacles is very much where we feel lack and where we feel that abundance is lacking within our lives. And I think also another one that comes to mind is the four of pentacles, because the four of pentacles in traditional tarot, the image is of the man and he's kind of holding the pentacles together, which can be a good thing because it's like, you know, he's holding his abundance close but there's a point to that where that becomes also very stingy. Like, you know, it becomes very much that this is just for me and it's for nobody else. And so those two cards really come to mind when we think of kind of the challenging understanding of the pentacle cards is that, you know, there's that times where we feel kind of material lack and those where it's like, you know, we have the abundance, but it's like, you know, we almost hold it too tightly where it's like, you know, we're not sharing that abundance with others. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like with all of them, the beginning cards with all four, the pentacles, the cups, the wands and the swords that they start, as you said, with that quintessential energy and with the ace, that raw potentiality and, and almost pure energy. And then when they conclude at 10, would you say that's, usually like a positive quote-unquote expanded kind of energy as well those two bookends well, is that how you view it so it again like it depends on the suit totally. like you know it really depends on the suit um because you know like when we get to let's take the the staffs you know the, the wands that are more commonly called um the st the wands are fire energy 
you and so you know fire at its base is so good and it's helpful but as fire expands you know fire becomes out of control like you know as fire kind of expands and it becomes more dangerous that energy can almost become a burden yeah and it's the same with with the swords you know as the swords like our intellects you know that that idea of our words and our intellects are so important and they're so fundamental to how we communicate and how we give across information but if we're if we don't temper that with wisdom you know our tongues can become very nasty or information can be used to kind of burden us down that that information becomes a burden to us as it expands also if we're not careful of those two different energies. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really helpful way then for people to remember with the readings, you know, the earth and the water ones, as they increase, usually their positivity, for lack of a better word, you know, not to Pollyanna, but sometimes it's if we do kind of thematically think about them, especially when we're getting into, I feel like, moderate readers like I feel like a lot of people know a little bit about them you know but when you start to do more and more readings and like you said really eloquently that with the the wands slash staffs or the swords then the more and more you know like when you're pulling those cards a lot a while ago I was pulling one you know and I was getting like you know all the eight and nines of those and I was like oh God. <laughs> you, know? you know it's you like you said it's 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 grist for the mill but it was like a heavy situation it was an intense kind of situation because air and fire are also these kind of pairs right and when you have right. air and fire together they work really well together so I feel like and that's also in the yogic tradition and many traditions, right? The the earth and the water can work really well together in an easeful way. And right. it's like that best friend that you just don't have to even say all the perfunctory things. You can just get into it, right? The earth and water, right. I feel like, are like that. And then the fire and air are like that, too. Right, and, exactly. But then that air, and this is totally in astrology, they're very compatible in a certain kind of sense. But then the air can make the fire out of control, right? There's always two sides of every coin. so. It's really interesting. Now, we talked about the the cups, but I just want to circle back to the cups and which cards do you feel like are more challenging? We talked about the beginning being really sweet. And then as the cups grow in number, like with the pentacles, when they grow in number, there's a lot of positivity, if you will, with those often. And, it, and of course, it depends who they're next to. And there's a whole storyline being told. But for people learning about the cards, which in your mind are more challenging cup cards? So for me, it's very much the four of cups are very challenging because the four of cups has to do with kind of malaise. It has to do with kind of feeling on the outside. And in traditional tarot, it's the guy and he's being presented the cup and he's kind of like holding his arms. It's like, you know, it's like he's being given the blessing and he just refuses to kind of see it. It's one of those things where... We can't always see the good in our lives that when we're kind of just looking at what it is that we seem that we lack. The other one with that is the five of cups, which I like to call the don't cry over spilled milk card, because the image on it is a man and he's looking at a kingdom and the kingdom is in disarray. The kingdom is absolutely in disarray and the cups are all spilled over everywhere. And it's like, you know, these are the times that we make maybe these dreadful mistakes in our lives and things like that but it's at the same time like these images and these situations are for us to learn from 
So I always like to call it the don't cry over spilled milk card. It's like, you know, it's like, what do we do after the that? five of cups? I love it. I love that. Yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's move on to the staff slash wands. So the wands are fun in lots of different ways because fire is about kind of this energy and how we get things moving. You know, this is the energy that we put behind our work. This is the energy that we put behind our relationships. This is the energy that we put in our expansion. I love that energy. And it's just like, it's energy in so many different types of ways. It's the energy that we put into our passions in many ways. The wands are also about sexual energy. And you know how we bring that energy into our day-to-day lives. That sexual energy plays into so many different aspects of our lives in kind of our manifestation work. And so it's all about the energy that we're either putting in or the energy that's also acting against us because so many of the cards in the suit are about our expansion, but it's also about the energy that's coming at us from the outside. Yeah, also, So good. So good. Yeah. Fire is that passion. And, and like you said, the things that we, really action, really, right? Like movement in the way that we do our work and follow our passions and run towards those calls that excite our spirit and our sexuality, like you said, and and our passion and our our Mars, our our libidos and things like that. So I love that. And of course, in Western astrology, we'd be talking about Aries and Leo and Sagittarius. I love that connection with Sagittarius especially because like so many of the cards in the suit of wands is about the party and it's like you know like I like to say that the four of wands it's the pre-party before (laughs) the actual party because in traditional tarot it's the image of the reception for the wedding it's the pre-party before the party like you know (laughs) and so so much of that energy and I find that people with Leo and Sagittarius and Aries and especially Sagittarius because Sagittarius people just like love the party and I just think that they're just like the quintessential wonderful hot messes that just are the suit of wands and i say that with all love too to all the sagittarius out there i love sagis i do well you know the 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 fire energy at least in astrology right are the people who are like like you said like vivacious and they love to party and and then sometimes they say like they put their foot in their mouth because they they, they'll blurt things out and you know like that fire it's it's hard to you know sometimes the feeling of containing but they're leaders and they inspire us and we follow them around, right? Passionate people. And that, that's such an important part of life to have have desire and passion for things and, and action, of course. So I love that it's associated in the yoga tradition with spring. And I don't think we mentioned that um, the pentacles are associated with winter. Is that also your, your hit and understanding too of the cards? No, so actually, I associate pentacles with the nice because I associate it with the harvest, and then for me, the wands are the fall, so it's like that last fire of kind of this going from summer into that energy of winter, and then the swords for me are, of course, winter. winter. I love that so much, and yeah, yeah, I think that, and that's interesting because I've heard the swords also sometimes as fall, and it's so great because it's like we can look at it and say, okay, none of this is wrong. (laughs) Someone actually DM me after 
the last tarot episode and I forget what they asked me, but it was something specific about something. And she's like, well, I had heard something else. And so we went back and forth a few times very lovingly and it was sweet. And she's like, you know, oh, and isn't it interesting? I heard this there. And I said, oh, isn't it interesting there, there? And that's the cool thing about ideas and traditions and, and really being modern mystics. You know, it's not about the duality of right and wrong. It's about this gift of the technology age and the gift of conversation and the gift of being able to blend different traditions and see what feels true right. and works for you. And whatever resonates, then you take it, you know, and that's the that's the beauty of this these times, I feel like, and, and the beauty of being a modern mystic. I concur. And I think like so much as we enter into this age of Aquarius, you know, and so we kind of full on to that that energy. It says so much about breaking down rigidness. Yes. You know, it's so much about breaking down rigidity and like, you know, these very kind of set things. So much of traditional tarot and so much of traditional divination as those who have been raised in these these traditions is, is it's very much. Well, my grandmother told me that this means this and it like it only means this and it only corresponds mm-hmm. to this. And, you know, there's that kind of rigidity around these around these traditions. But I think as time goes on and as we enter into the energy of the age that we're entering into, there's so much this possibility for expansion and for innovation and for creativity when it comes to these tried and true tradition and modalities, that there's this ever flowing and ever evolving conversation of what these things mean for each and every person from a different yeah, perspective so well put so well put because that's it the, the aquarian age and the energy of aquarius is breaking down old structures i mean that's what aquarian energy is and as you said so eloquently and with such articulateness that it's about building things up you know in ways that make sense for us and rebuilding and restructuring and not being so rigid like you said it's breaking it down the uranus energy Though you used to be ruled by Saturn, which is very structured, but then Uranus came around and now it's sort of, you know, Aquarius is ruled by both of those planets. So it's about like structure, having structure and then breaking the structure down and then having structure. And and that's so helpful, I think, with the tarot, because when people get readings and I'm curious, you know, if you think this and how you feel about this, but. These days, like, I'll just have someone look at the spread. And before I even say anything, I'm like, hey, what stands out for you? Just take a couple quiet moments and which images speak to you? What do you see even, you know, and just have people really take in what speaks to them in the way of the archetypes, what stands out to them, because inevitably, again, that mirror idea whatever wisdom is meant to be shared with them, they pull it from the cards. It's like that wise part of themselves take that in so that I'm not overlaying something that, you know, is precluding and being more obstructive to the own truth of of what the cards want to reveal, which is, you know, the wisdom that lives within those people. Right. I definitely see that more and more as readings progress and with people and things like that and i do sometimes ask like you know which state sticks out to you and the deck that i i use most for reading is an untraditional deck because it, it uses kind of the archetypes as christian saints a lot of my clients 
will look at the deck and they'll be like, oh, like, you know, I see myself a lot in the saints because a lot of my clients will know the story or they'll say, like, you know, I grew up with this saint in my life for so many years and I haven't thought about that saint and what they stand for in my practice and in my growth. And so I definitely do see that in the way that people relate to the cards and relate to the archetypes, no matter how those archetypes show up. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Love that. What about the swords? We didn't get to we got to the fact that when you get a lot of swords, yeah, you might, you know, take a couple extra deep breaths. <laughs> but <laughs> talk to us a little bit more, please, about you the sword energy and and let's dive into the the last suit of the swords. So the swords in tarot represent the intellect. They are the element of air. And so they represent our intellect. They represent our communication. They represent writing. They represent the internet. They represent all these different ways that we learn and that we share information. With that, the swords are such a rich suit of the tarot. But at the same time, they can be the most difficult to deal with of all of the different suits out of all all of them. I feel that the swords come off as the most sharp because even just with the swords and let's take it even back. Let's let's not even use swords. Let's use the archetype of a knife. Like, you know, a knife can be really helpful. We can use it for cooking. We can use it to slice through different things. We can use it to cut cords and things like that. But at the same time, if we're not careful with a knife, you know, we can cut ourselves and even more importantly, we can cut somebody else with that knife if we're not using the knife properly or we're not using it with discernment as it should be used. And I think that the sword suit really balances out that energy of like, you know, that this is such a powerful tool, but if not used mindfully, that it can become something very destructive at the same time. Yeah, that's a gorgeous description and really, really profound. Thank you so much. Yeah, the swords are that and there are the mind, right? And the thoughts and the mental capacities. And I love what you said about how that knife, right, can use it for cooking and for cutting bread and you can use it in that way that nourishes or you can use that to kill. And, you know, when you were speaking that way, I was thinking about it's such a powerful metaphor for our life, right? Just like our life, people can use the life to kill and people can use the life, like we were saying, to come full circle in bhakti, to be of service. You know, there's those ends of the spectrum and, and the swords really can represent that and that part of being embodied. That's the truth. That is that. And they're associated with Libra and Gemini. In addition to Aquarius, so all the air signs for the people who who are air infused with their charts and their doshas and Ayurveda or their air energy. So I love that. So when we talk about the court cards, so the court cards can mean a lot of different things. The court cards in tarot can represent the quarant asking the question. It can represent certain aspects of that person's character, certain aspects of that person's demeanor. It can really represent multifaceted aspects of the quarant's personality, even in the present, or what even the quarant is aspiring to become. 
And so when we look at the court cards and they come up, and especially if they come up in a reading in a very prominent place, I usually like to see say that that is the Corinth's personality and that's the Corinth's strengths. And depending on the position, it can also be the weaknesses of the Corinth. The court cards can also be representative of people surrounding the situation. So the court cards can be other players involved, other energies involved in the specifics of the reading, other than that of the Corinth asking the question. Those are usually the two main ways that we see the court cards in the tarot. But again, because the court cards can mean a lot of very different things. It can be the players within the reading, but it also can be those values or those strengths that we aspire to in life and that we're reaching for in our day-to-day life. And so the court cards have this dynamism in their kind of scope So the court cards start off usually with the page, and they go right up to the king. So the court cards are representative of the medieval court. So we have in it, we have the page, the page turns into a knight, the knight turns into the queen, and then the queen turns into the king. And so when we look at the different aspects of the court cards, no matter what suit they're in, the page usually represents the learner. So let's take the page of cups, for example, the page of cups represents the early lover. And so when we progress through the stages of the cups court cards, we have the page who is the early lover, um, somebody who's learning kind of the secrets of love, or if we're looking from a more spiritual standpoint of the page of cups, the page of cups is the learner of the mysteries. He's the learner of the mysteries of the universe, the mysteries of spirituality, and he's beginning his journey of depth. When the page progresses to the night, the night is the romanticizer. So the night is all about kind of the music and the poetic. I always look at the Knight of Cups as kind of like this rock star. Like, you know, he's singing these love ballads and he's creating this poetry. It's really that love, emotion, and creativity within the court cards also with that we progress to queen and so the queen is all about the interior mysteries because usually the feminine cards in tarot represent more of the internal knowing so the so the queen in the court cards are all about kind of that interior knowing so they're the love and the mystery that is within inside the love and the mystery that is hidden. Even in the traditional court cards, we see the queen and she's sitting on her throne amidst the ocean and she's holding a chalice in her hands. And then that chalice is veiled. For those who are kind of familiar with the Catholic mass, it's a very Christian symbol. That veiled chalice is all about the interior mysteries. It's very much about the mysteries that are to be revealed. And so with that, in the queen court card, we have the mysteries that are hidden that will soon be revealed. After that, the queen progresses to the king, and the king 
is all about that stability and emotion. So that's, he's all about being comfortable in our love. He's all about being comfortable in our emotional state and being stable in our emotional state. But he's also about the firm foundation of that and how we solidify that and how we enact that into the world. And so we have this dynamic play out with the king in the cups where he is the stability, but he's also that virtue in motion. And so that is the court cards in a nutshell. Another really interesting facet of the court cards from the page up into the king is that the court cards are double elements. So again, going back to the original kind of understanding of the cards. So when we talk about the page of cups, for example, so the page of cups is the swords mixed with water is fire with water. After that, we have the night and the night is water with air. Then when we go to the queen, the queen is water is double water. So the queen in the cups is kind of the pinnacle card of that court. It is double the element which that card represents. And finally, we have the king, which is earth and water. And so when we think about the king as being that stability of the element, it's all about kind of that dynamism between both earth and the water. So we have that kind of double action in the court cards too, where the court cards represent the doubles of the elements also. So that is the court cards in a nutshell. So, Michael, what in the parting words would you say, I don't know, are like your two or three most important kind of things that people should take away from exploring tarot or maybe not even important things to take away but things just to keep in mind when they are are exploring tarot i i think it's one thing is important is to have fun with it because i think sometimes with these modalities we come into like this very kind of serious mindset and like you know this is going to (laughs) we're going to come and like you know this is going to reveal all these things and like you know it's going to be this heavy burden but i think it's to come into this with some levity and with some brevity you know and coming that this is a snapshot of the energy this is a tool to be able to help us to make discernments and make decisions going forward and i think that we have to kind of find the joy in that and we have to find the humor in that also and you know me because we've had readings together like you know we laugh through all our readings I love like you that. know like <laughs> i love that you know and that's i feel like that literally is the wisest thing you could say you're such an old soul and you are that way and and i love that so much because i feel like just in all spirituality you know sometimes there's and this is so sagittarius by the way this this perspective right now i'm gonna say and i'm not a sagittarius by my sun sign but i have that north node and it's this perspective of like taking ourselves so seriously that we forget that joy and levity which is the essence of life and if we are so serious and that's when the ego takes over, right? That's when the ego is like in the right. driver's seat as opposed to just like a passenger. 
So I love that. And you do. You are so fun in your readings and you and you really bring your laughter. And, and I think that's really important to think of it because they're, pl- they're cards. So you can always remember they're playing cards, right? I'm, right? I'm playing and life is really important. And yet probably most of us more than not take everything too seriously. <laughs> and it's, you know, so much of it is true. I think that it's just like, you know, a lot of our problem is, and it's not saying that we don't have serious moments in life and things that we have to take practically and things like that. But sometimes it's just like, you know, we just have to to laugh. And I'm going to take a quick aside with that. So one of my practices is that I'm also, I practice Shinto. Um, and one of the kami that I venerate in my Shinto practice is Ame no Azume, um, who is the kami of celebration, but she's also the kami of laughter. Amaterasu had sealed herself out in the cave. What does Ame no Azume do? She does this dance where she like strips and takes off her clothes from that the laughter of the other kami brings out the sun. It brings out mm. the warmth and it brings out the light. And I think so much of that that we have to find in our life and our situations, no matter how difficult it is, is that we have to find that laughter, um, even in the midst of that difficulty, to bring out the illumination again. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And and really, really just so truly, deeply profound and smart. So when you are looking for tarot cards, whether you're working with a traditional deck or maybe not, find ones that bring you joy, find ones that make you smile. I was, you know, recently playing in Europe in Avalon and I, of course, brought my Avalon cards and I was so having so much fun because, you know, it was just like such a kind of kitschy but like playful thing. And the truth is, I feel like as humans on this path of evolution, on this path of trying to, you know, raise our vibration and help collective consciousness and all these things, the more joy and the more playful we are, the more energy opens up, the more people open up, the more goodness happens, you know, and and even in our spiritual lives, you know, the more I play when I meditate, the more amazing things I see. So keeping that energy of play with even the tarot, thank you for that wisdom nugget. It's so, so Good. Well, Michael, would you be willing to just punctuate our conversation with maybe like a one minute benediction or a little meditation or just something to punctuate our delicious conversation? Sure. So we're going to just take a minute to close our eyes and center ourselves and just take a moment to breathe. Take a moment to breathe in. Hold it. And breathe out. And I just want us to take a minute to really tune into spirit, to tune into the court of spirits that's all around us, our courts, our spirit guides, our ancestors, the saints and angels of all traditions and all lineages that surround us and guide us each and every day. And I just want to take some time to bask in their energy, to bask in their glow, to bask in their voices and their guidance. Take a minute to feel what it is, where it is in your body, where it is in your mind, where it is in your heart that these saints, these angels, these spirits, these ancestors 
are speaking to you. And if you can pick one word out of this moment, what is that word for you that's coming through at this very moment from all our guides, our ancestors, the saints and angels that are around us? And with that, take that word and fold it into your heart and feel that energy. Feel it absorbing into you. Feel it coming a part of you. And feel it coming from your heart and glowing and expanding outward to the world around you as a blessing and a benediction to all the earth, to yourself, and to all living beings throughout the world. And with that, I give you all my blessing in the name of the Father, the Child, and the Holy Mother. Amen. Thank you. That was really, really, really precious. Thank you so much. Michael, where can folks find out about you and your wonderful work in this world? So the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. Um, and my Instagram name is Saintly Tarot Mystic on Instagram. So people are more than welcome to follow me on Instagram. And they're more welcome to reach out to me and come and talk more with me. I welcome questions. I welcome conversation. So just hit me up. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. And I'm so excited for my Mystic members who are receiving from Michael 50% off a 30-minute tarot session. 50% off, everybody. That's so generous, Michael. Thank you so much. And if you are a Mystic member, head on over to my website and become a member for only $33 a month at modernmystic.love. Support this podcast while supporting yourself and get my entire yoga, meditation, mystic hack video library. And that includes tarot and astrology tutorials every month. So it's a phenomenal gift Michael's offering. Come check out my monthly mystic member. And please remember also to subscribe rate and review this podcast if you're enjoying it, which I'm assuming you are because you've listened this long. And lastly, if you want to contribute to the podcast, you can become a Patreon member now at patreon.com slash modern mystic love. You can donate as little as $3 a month and support this podcast. Every dollar counts and means really so much. So Michael, thank you so much for your download of wisdom is so interesting and I think so helpful for our listeners who are interested in tarot or tarot curious. So thank you for your generosity of energy and of time and of wisdom. Well, thank you so much for having me again. This was a blast as always, <laughs> and I can't wait until the next time. Yay. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. It is so appreciated. Also, check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can find information about my very exciting 
monthly Mystic membership. My members have unlimited access to a robust video library, which includes short videos that are easily digestible, sharing practical ways to integrate mystical living into your day-to-day life. These compelling videos cover topics such as how to ground, protect, and grow your energy, how to develop your psychic abilities, how to connect to your spirit team, shadow work, inner child work, tarot cards, lots of Western astrology, of course, in addition to syncing up with the rhythms of nature and so much more. I've gotten so much positive feedback that these videos are game changers for folks. Also included in the membership are over 100 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels, meditation and breathwork classes, so you can work from the inside out or the outside in and up-level yourself as you become the next version of you. Not to mention my Mystic members get all sorts of bonus content and discounts from my visionary podcast guests. So check out modernmystic.love and take a peek there as there's a free sampling of some videos waiting for you. Lastly, if you are looking for some conscious conversation and compelling community, check out also our private Modern Mystic podcast Facebook group. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste.